Our first scripture this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 26 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when you have it now with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the Lord detests a perverse man but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the homes of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our second scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become both useful to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary." Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is the word of God for the people of God. So now we're in the third week of our Teachings for the Church series, in which we've been looking at the New Testament letters written directly to members of the early Christian movement to guide them through difficult or confusing situations. During the first week, we considered the people and things in whom we put our trust and our faith, and we heard Paul's suggestion that we be cautious while building the frameworks of our belief. Last week, we talked about having relationships with people with whom we disagree, how love of Christ impacts our handling of conflicts, and some basic practical guidelines and principles for how to live well. This week, we're going to be talking about our relationships with one another, with other Christians, and how we're called to see each other. Now, before we really get into that, it would be foolish for me to think that we could simply jump into this passage without acknowledging a simple problem that many people pick up on. When looking at the book of Philemon, this question 
inevitably arises, why doesn't Paul seem to have a problem with slavery? It's not a terrible question either, and I think it's a good thing that we have engaged with this as Christians who care deeply about Scripture. Indeed, there's no denying that this book has been used in the past to justify terrible systems of slavery that took people from their homes and treated them as property to be bought and sold. And the fact that Paul doesn't specifically condemn slavery here was used in the past as proof that that was okay. Now, I have heard it explained in the past that slavery at the time was very different from American slavery. And even though that's probably true, I don't think that it really gets to the heart of why it's not a good reading. If you read the beginning of this chapter, you'll see that Paul says that he doesn't want to command Philemon to free Onesimus, but that he would rather appeal to him on the basis of love to do the right thing. In other words, Paul does want Onesimus to be freed, but he doesn't want to force Philemon. But then look at what he says just a little while later. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Not to mention that you owe me your very self, confident of your obedience, but knowing that you will do more than I ask. If this isn't Paul flexing his authority in the situation, then I don't know what would be. He basically says, look, you don't have to do anything, but just know that a good Christian would set him free. I'm serious, I won't force you to set him free, but I'd really like it if you did, and I mean, I won't even mention that you owe me everything that you have. And as though all of that isn't enough, just one verse further than what we read this morning, Paul tells him to get ready and prepare a room because he's coming for a visit. So Paul is clearly saying here that it would be wrong for Philemon to continue holding Onesimus as a slave, and that he, Paul, who has real authority in the church, will be coming by soon to see how things are going. To take this passage as an approval of slavery, then, would be, in my reading, to completely twist it and miss the point. And we have to recognize that it would have been a really significant thing for Paul to ask for this man to free his slave. And we have to recognize the reason that he gives for why it's necessary. Paul first says to recognize this man as a fellow man. But also, Paul observes that Onesimus has become a Christian and that as Christ makes all things new, he's making all relationships new as well. In Christ, the master-slave relationship cannot exist. It's not possible because by the renewal of Christ and the baptism of his spirit, our relationships are elevated so that we stand on equal ground. The central verse here is in Paul's hope that Onesimus be welcomed back as more than a slave, as a dear brother. So not only should Philemon not put him down, not subjugate him, not only should he set him free, but he should go so far as to treat him as a brother, to treat him as though he was his own blood. This is a glimpse of the kingdom of God where no hierarchies can exist. Paul says in another letter, 
that in Christ there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, because our value and our position is based in the righteousness of Christ. For those who trust in Christ, nothing else factors in and nothing else matters. We are elevated before God the Father. So should we not elevate our relationships with one another here as well? I think it's interesting. Paul demonstrates this kind of equality in the way that he approaches this letter. He tells Philemon that Onesimus has been a good partner to him and that he also thinks of Philemon as a partner as well, which is why he speaks out of love rather than authority. The truth here is that for a Christian speaking to a Christian, a shared calling and mission undergirds everything. Paul and Philemon both know that they're working together in service of the kingdom and that they're both being motivated by the saving power of Jesus Christ that has changed their lives. It's true that Paul does have authority in the situation, but because he is partnered with Philemon, it's also true that he doesn't feel like he needs to exert his position explicitly in order to be a good guide. I think this is a good guideline for us to remember as well, because the church is no stranger to conflict and disagreement. There are times when we have to serve as Paul did, guiding another to change their ways for the sake of faith. He knew that the right Christian thing for his friend to do was to release his slave, yet he also trusted that his friend could be convinced to do so without undermining their relationship. Sure, Paul's authority was obvious and would have doubtless been known, but he gave gentle and restrained guidance rather than exerting his positional power. I will say, though, if he had arrived in Colossae to find Onesimus in chains, I doubt the conversation would have been gentle a second time. And there are other times, too, when we have to serve as Philemon was called to, when we find ourselves being called to higher standards by our fellow Christians. We know that like Paul, the people around us are themselves called to edify and challenge us in pursuit of holiness, pursuit of building up our relationship and openness to the work of Jesus Christ. And out of respect for our partnership with them, we have to be willing to set aside our pride and listen. That doesn't mean we have to agree, but we do have to listen. And no matter how long we've believed, no matter how long we've walked in the faith, we will always find ourselves serving as Onesimus, who had to reevaluate his relationships through his faith in Jesus Christ. We will always continue to stand in his position because we are being continually renewed by the Spirit, and our relationships are being renewed just the same. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow in Christ, Our relationships with one another have to reflect that. Beyond the call for Philemon to end Onesimus' slavery, Paul is making a very important point about the work that Christ does. Onesimus has become Paul's son, he says. Where he was useless, now he's useful. Where he was a slave, now he's become a brother in the Lord. This whole letter is based on the idea and the fact that in his faith, Onesimus has become a new man, and that Philemon needs to recognize and appreciate the magnitude of that fact. 
Now, I think it's actually the useless to useful change that holds the most power here, for as strange as that might sound. And the reason is quite simple, but only, only if you have a background in biblical Greek. Because Onesimus literally means useful. It's a play on words. It's a play on words that Paul is using to drive home the newness that Onesimus has in Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder that in Jesus alone, we can become the people we were designed to be. You know, whenever someone's name changes in the Bible, it's a pretty significant thing. Abram, which means high father, becomes Abraham, meaning father of nations, when he makes a covenant with God. Jacob, which means follower or clinging to the heel because of how he took his brother's birthright, becomes Israel, meaning wrestles with God after he wrestled with God. Even Saul becomes Paul after being temporarily blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus. So even though there isn't a divine name change here, as in other places, Paul is clearly drawing distinctions between the life before and the life after Onesimus met Christ. Because it's in Christ that Onesimus can now live up to his name. That fulfillment and that purpose could never come from work. And it certainly couldn't come from being an obedient or productive slave because true fulfillment and true purpose can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul expected Philemon to encounter the renewing power of Jesus once again and to hear the call to love his brother in Christ. Within the church, we're called to extend grace and love to one another in a way that would be absurd by any other standard. And as the Holy Spirit works within us, we become people who can fulfill that call. Remember, we're residents of a kingdom where all things are being made new, where we are defined and identified solely as children of the Most High King, and where we're able to see each other as such. We have to. Anything less would be to deny that Christ can work within other people as much as he has in our own lives. It's because we're called to love because we've first been loved. We know the power that Jesus Christ has, and we know what he's done in our lives. So who are we to deny that he can do it for other people too? And you know what? If we can come to view one another as brothers and sisters with a shared mission in Christ, if we can truly believe that Christ is working in the lives of the people of the church, then we can find amazing joy in one another. We can look around at the people who are here. We can think about the people in our church. We can think about the people in the church throughout the world who have faith. Each and every one of them is a point where God is working in the world. Each one of them is a life that's been changed. That we have a God who would do so much great work in so many people is amazing. Now, the last thing I want to lift up this morning is that there is a practical side to Paul's letter. As I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, the reason that this letter was written in the first place was to have a slave released by his master. I think that the, I think that the way Paul acts out of love for Onesimus is a perfect example of the kind of commitment we need to have to one another as well, because Paul was willing to stand on behalf of his new friend. 
Philemon was probably a powerful man and certainly a wealthy one. He was a Christian, but for Paul to write a letter like this, directly asking for another man to repent and change his ways, was still a bold action. Yet he did exactly that, and the letter was preserved and passed on through the millennia to, for us to read today. So I think there's some benefit then to looking at how one of the early apostles, someone who was instrumental in the building and growth of the church, approached this situation. First, Paul spoke out of love. He truly believed that Philemon had faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that because of that, the two men were partners in ministry and brothers in the Lord. Further, he knew that the primary mark of the Christian's life is to be guided by love in all things because Jesus said that the love of God and neighbor was a fulfillment of the whole law. In the same way, we're called to approach even the most difficult or awkward situations with love. Even as we bring criticism, we have to bring it with love. Even as we call for repentance, we have to bring it from a place of love. We have the example of Christ who was perfectly loving, yet so often told people to go and sin no more. So long as we speak and listen from a place of love with holiness as our final goal, we can engage faithfully with one another. And second, we see that Paul very clearly stood up for Onesimus. He wasn't content to tell Philemon, I would prefer that you free him, nor It would be nice for you to free him. Instead, he issued the strong statement that if his faith was as strong as Paul believed, then he would certainly free him. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to boldly stand with one another, confident and unafraid in the Lord. The Christian life is not meant to be passive, but is meant to reveal the work that the Holy Spirit is doing within us through the work that we do for one another. The church is a community that's bound by the unbreakable cord of Christ's love, which stands on the unmovable foundation of his faithfulness. We have the guarantee that nothing, not even the gates of hell, shall ever prevail over the rock that is our salvation. So what do we have to fear as we stand with one another? The answer is nothing, because we have nothing to fear and everything to gain in Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to see the work of Christ in the people around you, to see that we are born again as siblings in the Lord, and to be willing to boldly stand with one another. Now as a final note, the story of Onesimus doesn't end with this letter. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul mentions that a man named Tychicus is on his way and is bringing with him Onesimus, whom he identifies as our faithful and dear brother. Now, while that might be the only other mention of Onesimus in Scripture, there is one further continuation of the story. One of the earliest bishops of the church was a man named Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch. He lived from about 35 AD to about 108 AD. He was arrested and transported to Rome early in the second century to face execution. And while he went, while he was on that trek, he wrote a series of letters to many of the churches that he knew of. These discussed a whole variety of topics, including the nature and divinity of Jesus Christ, 
the importance of the church, the roles of elders and bishops, and the significance of martyrdom. And finally, in 108, he was executed by being thrown to the beasts in the Colosseum. Now, the reason I bring this up is because one of his letters contains a list of the other bishops who oversaw the early church, and on that list is the name Onesimus of Colossae. So indeed, when Paul wrote his letter, it appears that Philemon did come to see Onesimus as more than a slave. And as a brother and partner in Jesus Christ, that Onesimus faithfully served the church for the rest of his life. From slave to brother to bishop, what better picture is there of God's work? My prayer for you as you go from here this morning is that you would see the work that Christ is doing within you and in the lives of your fellow Christians, and that you would recognize them as your brothers and sisters. Know and love them as your family. Have the courage to support them however you can, and trust that the community, that our community, will do the same for you. Go with the grace and peace and love of Jesus Christ. Amen.